Hi, welcome to the Speaking of Sex podcast. This is Chris from PleasureMechanics.com, and this is episode two of our June Erotic Game Changers series. As I mentioned last week, we are on personal holiday for the month of June. We are moving house and settling into our new home down near our daughter's new school. And then we are going on our personal family retreat up in Canada and we'll be totally off the grid for two blissful weeks by a lake which is lovely. And so we don't have any new episodes for you this month. And I wanted to give you the gift of four encore presentations of some of our most popular episodes that to me have game changing ideas, concepts and frameworks around sexuality that can totally revolutionize the way you think about and experience sexuality. Last week, we gave you a long interview with Emily Nagoski, and this week we are following that up with a conversation about one of the frameworks she introduces in her book, Come As You Are, called the Dual Control Model of Arousal. This is one of those things that you have to understand in order to really work with and optimize your own sexual experience. We have heard from so many people since this podcast aired about how important this framework was for them in rethinking their arousal. So here we go with an encore presentation of this episode called Manage Your Turn-Ons and Turn-Offs. Cheers. Hi, welcome to Speaking of Sex with the Pleasure Mechanics. I'm Chris. I'm Charlotte. We are the Pleasure Mechanics, and on this podcast, we offer expert advice so you can have an amazing sex life. You can find our complete podcast archives at pleasuremechanics.com, where you will also find a wealth of resources for you to optimize your sex life. Get started for free by going to pleasuremechanics.com slash free. On today's episode, we are going to be talking about a really important framework for you to understand your arousal and debunking some of the myths about arousal that apply to both men and women. And I really find that this framework helps you kind of take charge of your arousal, right? I believe I've heard you talk about it as becoming the architect of your arousal. Well, if you want to be highfalutin. <laughs> Which is quite a beautiful phrase and a beautiful idea. And anytime we can have a little bit more say or control, because we all like control <laughs> to some extent, wow. um, we can... We can Enjoy sex. We can design it and play with it more, and there's just more room for fun. So traditionally, we imagine arousal is this linear path where you get turned on by something, and then you get more excited, and then you build arousal, you have an orgasm, and then there's this decline. And we've all seen the arousal charts. And a lot of people think of this is how sex works for both men and women, and maybe women have a longer plateau stage. Traditionally, this is called the arousal plateau orgasm model, um, but it turns out that this isn't necessarily true. I don't know if everyone has seen that model. Do you want to just describe what it looks like, or do you think you've just explained it? Well, you know, the chart that kind of looks like a little mountain peak where you get turned on and you climb towards arousal and you plateau a little bit and it's like kind of flat and then you spike towards orgasm and then it drops off. Thank right? you. Yeah. 
And if you are playing with edging, it might be you climb, you plateau, you climb, you plateau, you climb, you plateau. And it's a useful chart to think about getting turned on. But what it doesn't account for is turn-offs. And we want to talk about the dual control model of arousal. And colloquially, I think we think about this as turn-ons and turn-offs, but we don't really give turn-offs a lot of credit once you're in the act of sex. You might think of, oh, it really turns me off when someone has bad breath. But maybe that's a reason I wouldn't initiate sex with that person or wouldn't date that person, or it's a real turn-off for me if someone's arrogant. Like We kind of think it's turn-offs as like, things that stop us from... Getting together with people. Getting together with people or being in the mood for sex, maybe. But it turns out that turn-ons and turn-offs are constantly at play. And as we're getting aroused, there's this interplay between things that excite us and things that inhibit us. And this model was developed in the 1990s at the Kinsey Institute by Eric Johnson and John Bancroft. And then it was explored in Emily Nagoski's amazing book, Come As You Are. And we interviewed Emily Nagoski, and she has so much to say that we actually divided into two episodes. So you'll find that at episode 79 and episode 80 over at pleasuremechanics.com. You'll find our complete podcast archive. And if you look for episodes 79 and 80, you'll find our interview with Emily Nagoski. And we talk a little bit about the dual control model there, but we want to dive a little bit further into it now. So, dual control model. The easiest way to think about this is the gas pedal and the brake pedal of your car, right? As you're driving along, you naturally use both of these pedals to modulate the speed of your car. It turns out in our bodies, there's a gas pedal and a brake pedal for our arousal as well. And like in your car, they're constantly working together to excite you and bring you down, excite you and bring you down. And so traditionally, we think that to have better sex, we just need to add more arousal. We need to add more gas and go faster and get more excited. So things like lingerie, lighting candles, more touch on your genitals, faster touch on your genitals, licking your nipples, like more, more, more. But as it turns out, you can add lots and lots of gas to your system, but that doesn't matter if your foot is also slammed on the brake. And the dual control model suggests that most of us and most sexual problems and dysfunctions come from too much pressure on the brake, too much sexual inhibition. And when I say inhibition here, I don't want you to think of feeling shy or feeling prudish, which is often how we think of, oh, you're so inhibited. Sexual inhibition here is a scientific term used to indicate anything that puts pressure on your brake pedal, anything that stops your nervous system from firing your arousal system, right? And so each of these systems, the sexual excitation system, your gas, and the sexual inhibition system, your brakes, respond to all of your senses, touch, taste, smell, sight. What am I missing? Touch, taste, smell, sight, and sound and also your thoughts and imagination. And emotions. And emotions. So all of those things are constantly at play and your brain is interpreting any, any signal as either something that's exciting you and bringing you further into arousal or something that's inhibiting you and tamping that down. 
right? And so it's constantly a little bit of gas, a little bit of brake, a little bit of gas, a little bit of brake. And it turns out the interplay between these systems is what creates your overall arousal experience. And so most of us don't need just more gas, more gas, more gas. We need to become mindful and aware of and in control of the things that put the brakes on our arousal. And that is extremely important and extremely particular and specific for each of us. And there's real power in exploring for yourself what turns you off, what gets in the way of you feeling arousal. And if you really take some time to reflect on this, you might find some answers and then you can do something about it, either in either just internally or practically in your life. So let's explore some of these things. So we all kind of understand what excitations might be. So your partner looks hot in those tight jeans. We talked about lingerie. We talked about some people will have visual stimulation, getting the mood right with the right music, the right lighting. And then, of course, touch. The right kind of touch. Yes, the skilled, amazing, confident touch you've learned through your pleasure mechanics <laughs> courses. <laughs> So there's all of those things that arouse you. What are some of the things that might put the brakes on your arousal? Well, I know for myself. Yes. <laughs> my mother or my daughter being within a one mile radius yes. of where I'm trying to have sex. Yes, I have we've learned... tried to be intimate with like them going on a walk by our house. and I just can't do it. No. Even my mom used to live down the hill. It, a few hundred my you know hundred feet away and that was not far enough for my psychic space to relax and this is a very you know she moved a few miles away now and I feel like I have more space to to really think about myself as an erotic being yeah and that is a very practical and very strange psychic thing well it's not that strange because if you think about it the sexual inhibition system is there for a reason it's there to prevent us from getting turned on where it's not socially appropriate yeah <laughs> so the presence of family members for most people is a strong inhibitor. Yes. And just the possibility that they might walk in is a strong inhibitor. Yeah. <laughs> so that makes sense. And I think that's a really important thing for mothers and families to figure out. Like, how much space do you need from your children to be able to feel like a sexual erotic being separate from being a mother or a daughter? And that might be different for different people. Absolutely. Some people it's just being in a different room. Yeah. Some, Some people sleep. want a lock on the door. Yeah. Okay, so other turnoffs. Let's get personal. Bad smells, for me, really will do it. Can't cook fish in the house if we want to get <laughs> turned on. I really prefer to have sex after a shower. I don't feel like body smells are bad or wrong or any of that, but like I just feel like I can relax more For you, it's deeply. more about hygiene. Yeah. It's not really about like funky smells. It's right. like bacteria. <laughs> I just like, I can relax a lot more, and that, like, that inhibition is just not there. Mm-hmm. Um, especially for people who like butt touch, knowing their butts are clean and there's no poo that might be hanging out or a little piece of toilet paper. That's a huge <laughs> inhibition. Um, for other people, it's just stress, mental to-do lists. Like, oh, I didn't pay the electricity bill and I think it's due tomorrow and am I going to get an overdraft fee? Like those kinds of mental chatter can be a huge, big foot on the brakes for your arousal. Um, for other people, it's like, clutter in the room or laundry in the corner it's a no-go so are you getting the idea here it's all of these things that distract us pull us away or actively turn us off sexually you might love the way your partner smells but a certain kind of smell not so much so for each sensory experience there's pluses and minuses gas and breaks oh certain kinds of music can really be a turn off <laughs> 
<laughs> Certain kind of music can be a real turn on, and this is like an exploration. But sometimes, like a song will come on in a playlist. Yeah, recently we were listening to a playlist, and it was good, and we were vibing with it, and it was great. And then this one song came on, and I was like, I feel like a Disney princess. Yeah, we were both like just not. No. In the mood. We were like, all right, we're done now, and that was valuable information. We won't be using that playlist again, and you know, it's so particular. And so with all of this information, so the task here, your homework, is to really think about your own erotic experiences and start thinking for yourself and cataloging cataloging, cataloging <laughs> all of your things that are turn-ons, all of your excitations, all of the things you can purposefully add in to add more gas to your experience. And then, more importantly, what are all the things that might take you away from the experience? What are all your turnoffs? What puts the brakes on your experience? And I didn't mention, for some people, trauma, past experiences, grief. There are these bigger forces that can be like a handbrake, you know, that it's not just tapping on the brakes. Like, you know, it's your parking brake is engaged, and that takes a longer time to really work on and ease the pressure off of that and so not all of these things can be like directly instantaneously managed, but some of them can. And that's what's so important because all of the pressure you take off your brakes allows that gas to work better. And so we've heard from so many couples who, you know, they're pouring gas on the f- fire. I keep wanting to use like gas know, on the fire, but we're talking about gas in a car, but same, same Fuel difference. Fuel on a fire. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> they're putting more and more arousal, more and more excitation, and they're not understanding why they, they're not getting further. They're not getting to orgasm. They're not getting as excited as they used to. And they're not thinking about this whole category of things that are inhibitors, things that are turning them off, things that are just bringing them down a little bit. This can be medical, this can be life situations, it can be financial. All of these things that add up in life have an effect every time we try to get turned on. And that's kind of annoying. Like, I wish every time we entered the erotic zone, we were just like blank slates that just could be filled with arousal and it was all simple and just a matter of like stroking the right part of your body and bam, we're there. We're not that easy. And that's a blessing too. We're complicated erotic beings, but part of that is managing the things that inhibit your arousal system. So if you know laundry in the corner is going to distract you, you need to take some time, prepare for sex, or rearrange your house so the hamper's not in your bedroom. Mm. And a lot of people could work on their bedrooms as more erotic zones. And we maybe should do an episode about that because having the TV on with the news certainly isn't going to be conducive for wanting to make love that night, right? Like, how do you create the space, manage all of those sensory inputs to optimize for your sexual experience? And you're two people, probably, maybe three, I don't know. But most people are two people in the sexual experience And so if she is really into like soft feminine colors and frilly things and scented candles, he might find that a turnoff. So you need to collaborate on this, right? Like I think a lot of people go too far in feminizing the bedroom and then wonder like why the guy can't get a lot of like mojo up. Mm. Maybe they need a little bit more of like a powerful masculine space. And that's totally gendered, I know, but (laughs) my point is that it takes two, and so you have to negotiate and make sure that that sensory input is 
meeting as many of your mutual needs as possible. Yeah, and that we have to be erotic detectives and architects and have those conversations to design something like a space and and uh, time that is conducive to both of you getting it on. Right, and so the architect thing is more, it's about more than just your space. It's also about designing your erotic experiences and so you think about if you set a date night if you know the kids are out of the house on the weekend or if you know on Thursday nights we have a little bit more time together because of our schedules you want to start designing your lifestyle to make it more conducive that you'll be in the erotic zone and so this is yes about managing all the physical things but it's also about managing your physical energy and your mindset And so if you know for yourself that you've been stressed out that week, maybe you want to take some time and decompress, go to a yoga class, take a bath, go on a walk with your friend and chat it all out. So then when you're with your partner, you don't feel like you have to vent about your annoying boss, you can like be present. So when we talk about being an architect of your own arousal, it's taking into account all of these factors. And it's almost like laying it all out on the table and being like, all right, what can I manage yeah what's out of my control okay there's going to be some pressure on the break but that's okay you know this isn't a fragile thing you don't have to get all of the inhibitions out of the way your body can overcome some inhibition but as many as you can manage all the better and then what can i add to the experience what inputs can i create that will create more excitation and you do your best, right? Like this isn't another thing to put pressure on your sexual experience. It's just a way of thinking about it that kind of gives you a little bit more control over all of those factors that may be holding you back in bed that when they go unnamed, it's kind of like, well, why didn't I enjoy that as much? And my partner put so much effort in and, oh, we're both trying, but it's just not feeling as good. Because if you're just thinking of it that way, You can start kind of making up problems and thinking that it's about you and your partner and your dynamic and maybe relationships getting boring and sex is never going to be as good as it used to. And we kind of spin out and make it very personal. But when we think about, okay, so I'm stressed out at work. My mother's sick. My sister's coming for a visit next week. There's laundry piling up. There's a bit of debt. Like my house smells like fish. (laughs) (laughs) Some of those things can be managed and some can't. And when you name things specifically and recognize that all of these factors have an impact on your arousal in each moment, you can start being in charge a little bit more in the driver's seat, if you will. Yeah, I mean, it's amazing that we ever managed to be turned on at all with the complications of life, but it's about trying to carve out space and get ourselves in the mood and understand that we are flawed, complicated beings. We do not need everything to be perfect by any stretch, but we are going for good enough and connecting from that place and some people react to these strategies like oh it makes sex so clinical and you shouldn't have to think about it so much and shouldn't it just be spontaneous and amazing and all of these messages come to us from this romanticized erotic culture where we think that the best sex is spontaneous and in the moment and you never have to think about it but that's just not the way life works for anything and any physical experience if you want to get fit You just don't like exercise spontaneously and all of a sudden you are fit and muscular and a star athlete. It's it's not how it happens. It's just a myth. 
And it's this complicated... But it's part of sex negativity, right? It's like, oh, you shouldn't have to put any effort into great sex. But if we thought that way about exercise and physical fitness, you know, people lay out their clothes for the gym, pack the gym bag, work it into their schedule that they'll get to the gym before work, walk home instead of taking the bus, manage their diet, like put all this effort into it if you want results. And you have to be willing to put a little bit of effort into your sex life and a little bit of thought and planning and get to know yourself, what works for you specifically, if you want to see results and have a better sex life. And yeah, I think that's useful. This is one of the great tools for doing that is getting to know yourself and what are your accelerators and what are your brakes. I also want to mention that we did, I thought, a pretty great episode on distractions. Mm -hmm. So there's some overlap here. And that was episode number 54. Um, And we talked a lot about preparing for sex more mentally um, and some of the strategies around that. Uh, So I think that's a useful pairing to this podcast. So as I said before, in all of the studies they've done with this framework, they found that a sensitive brake pedal, no matter how strong your accelerator, is the strongest predictor of sexual problems of all kinds. So you can be someone who gets really turned on, but if you have also a sensitive brake pedal, if there's a lot of things that inhibit you, that's the strongest predictor that you're going to have an unhappy sex life. And so this is really important that we start managing our brake pedals, so to speak. And these studies also found that one of the patterns is what they call arousal contingency. This idea that everything has to be just right for you to get turned on. There have to be fresh flowers in the room and the room has to smell like fresh daisies. Daisies smell like lavender (laughs) and the lighting has to be just right and everything has to be just so before I get turned on. And this is a kind of preciousness that if you get too attached to it can really inhibit your sex life. And it puts a lot of pressure on you to create all those conditions. And so as we tell you to manage your brake pedal, it's not necessarily about making everything just so and just perfect. And it has to be this like precious, perfect, you know, fragile thing. It's more about identifying these things and managing them so you can forget about them. Right? Like... And there's no shame in having all of these things that you would like to have taken care of. No, but there's the balance there, right? Like, so this arousal contingency, a lot of the studies say that that is one of the biggest things that is creating sexual dysfunction and sexual unhappiness. And so you can go too far with, like, trying to manage everything. And I think it's this idea, like, of, I don't know, it's... I want to encourage people to take their breaks seriously and try to put effort into creating the conditions for great sex. But at the same time, you have to also understand that it doesn't have to be fragile. It doesn't have to be perfect. Yeah. And so for me, like the smell thing, I used to just be so strongly identified with that that I was like, you can never cook fish in the house because it just disgusts me for days. And now it's kind of like, well, you really like fish, and I know it's going to be a little unpleasant for me, but if I know that, I can kind of manage it a little better. So go ahead and cook fish a couple times a week, but, you know, it's just like I I can manage it better having identified it, Mm. and then let it go a little bit, right? 
Or if you take that laundry and shove it in the closet, like the laundry's still there and you can fixate on it if you want to Uh and be like, oh, well, the laundry didn't get done today, so there's no way I'm going to get turned on. Or you can shove it in the closet and be like, I'm going to take care of you later. I'm just not going to think about you right now. Yeah. I see. So there's this way of managing things to try to get them off your mind instead of making them, like giving them more power. Uh Uh-huh. So by managing them, you give them less weight in your erotic experience rather than more. And then you choose, you can choose to manage what you can manage and then choose to focus on allowing the arousal to build and to pay attention to to them and to let them grow in your body and mind. And this is even, I'm going to go a little bit bigger for a second, when dealing with the big things that can inhibit you like trauma, one of the most useful things for me in my recovery from sexual trauma was acknowledging everything that had happened to me and instead of letting myself fixate on it during a sexual experience with a new person and like thinking about it and oh am I broken and it's like there's this way it can overcome your mind and it's actually all you're thinking about and there's no way you're getting turned on from that place you can think about it and manage it and then set it aside and choose to be present and actively create a story like I'm with this person now I am safe I am choosing this I'm consenting to it and you change the direction of your mind you change what you're focusing on and so that's another way of taking the pressure off the brake paddles like I'm not going to focus on the laundry I'm not going to focus on the trauma I'm going to focus on my lover's face because that's an excitation I'm going to focus on his smell because I really love the way his armpits smell right now. And so you putting more focus of your attention on things that are giving you gas. Mm-hmm. So partly it's also a mindset and training your mind to focus on the gas instead of the bricks. You're directing your neural pathways. Okay. So I think we've given you enough. I would love to hear from you about if this framework is useful to you and what are some of the things that you can manage to give yourself more gas and less breaks in your arousal system. Come on over to pleasuremechanics.com. And if you're ready to go beyond the free mini courses, check out our premium online multimedia erotic mastery courses mm-hmm. where we guide you stroke by stroke in mastering new erotic skills, everything from couples massage to foreplay to spanking and much more. You can check them out at pleasuremechanics.com and use the code speaking of sex for 20% off the course of your choice. I'm Chris. I'm Charlotte. We are the Pleasure Mechanics. Wishing you a lifetime of pleasure. I hope you enjoyed that game-changing episode and found those ideas as revolutionary as so many people have reported them to be. Remember, if you want to support our work and help us keep going and producing this free podcast, please come over to patreon.com slash pleasure mechanics. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash pleasure mechanics and sign up for a monthly pledge 
a dollar a month, $5 a month. At $25 a month, we are sending you pleasure packages with handwritten notes and stickers and samples and other fun things. And we would love your ongoing support to help us keep going and doing this work of creating this amazing free resource that is available to everyone around the world who wants to listen. Thank you for your support to our 100 plus patrons that are already on board our community. And please join us with a monthly sustaining pledge of as little as a dollar a month. And you get lots of bonus resources and our undying love and gratitude. All right, patreon.com slash pleasure mechanics. Please sign up to support the show and we will be back with you next week with another encore presentation of a game changing episode. Cheers.